Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like a handbook for Christian living. It doesn't give every detail of the Christian life, but it sets a standard for Christians. And so studying the Sermon on the Mount, understanding the, the, what the Sermon on the Mount is about is a very important thing for Christian and, and for Christians and for Christian living. So today we begin in Matthew chapter five, and we're gonna look at the first five verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what the Bible says. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus saw the multitudes. He went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Now here's the picture. Jesus is on, up on the mountain. His disciples come to him, but the crowd is surrounding them. And so he's teaching to the disciples, but the crowd, the multitudes are listening in. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we do wanna pray for those that we have mentioned this morning who are in need of prayer and all of these needs and all of these circumstances, all of these people that have been shared with us today who are in need of prayer. And we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer is an amazing gift that you have given to us so that we can come into your presence as your children and be accepted by you as we come in the right way, in the right spirit, for the right purpose. And so, Father, today we want to lift up these names, these circumstances, these situations, these requests that have been shared. We lift them all up to you. You know everything about every one of them. And so, Lord, we pray for the good of those that we pray for today. We pray for your honor and for your glory and your will to be done. We pray that they will find comfort. We pray that they will find healing. We pray that they will find encouragement. And we pray that your will will be done in their life. And, Father, we, we, we pray today for this gathering as we have worshipped you. And it's good to see our choir back in the choir loft and the joy that we have in worship. And bless us now as we open your precious word. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of the Christian life that is lived under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. Now the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount are commonly called the Beatitudes. And maybe in your Bible, in the column where these verses are printed, you might have a kind of a, a bold statement about this division that says the Beatitudes of Jesus or something like that. Well, the word Beatitude is a Latin word. Uh, it comes from the Latin translation of the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a word that means blessed. It, the, the, you know, blessed are those. It is the word that means blessed. And so the word blessed is beatitude in the Latin. Now the word blessed 
means happy, but it means more than that. It's kind of a difficult word to take, difficult thing to take that word and translate it and get its full meaning into English. The word blessed means happy, but it means more than that. It means happiness. It means peace. It means fulfillment. It means completement. Uh, from, From the ancient times, the Isle of Cyprus was called the Blessed Island, which means on the island of Cyprus, according to the ancients, you could go there and you could find everything that you could possibly need uh, in a material way to make your life full and blessed and and uh, fulfillment and so jesus begins the sermon on the mount by telling us how to be happy how to find fulfillment how to find peace and so what jesus does in the sermon that talks about the, the, the spirit-filled Christian life, he begins the sermon by telling us how the Christian life begins. How does the Christian life begin? What happens in a person's life that motivates them to become a Christian? Now, there are some people who become a Christian because their mom and dad told them it was time to do so. You know, you're 12 years old now. It's time for you to walk the aisle and join the church. And so they walk the aisle and join the church, but they don't really understand what they're, they're doing. And, and so in reality, they really haven't begun the Christian life. That's not how you begin the Christian life. Uh, you know, other people have the idea, well, it, you know, it would be a good thing for me to join a church. It'd be a good thing to add on to my life. And so they'll go to a church and get a little active and involved. Then I'll join a church and get baptized. And then they can say, well, I'm a church member. Well, that's not how the Christian life begins. In the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus teaches us how a person becomes a Christian. He teaches us the road to happiness. He teaches us the road to peace and the road to fulfillment. This is how you find true happiness, true peace, true fulfillment. Now the world says that happiness is found in earthly riches and abundance. You know, if you just had more money, you'd be happy. If you had just more of this, that, or the other, you would be happy. Just think how happy you would be If you would win the lottery, just think how happy you would be if you had all of this money. So the world tells us that happiness can be found in in riches and in abundance. The world tells us that happiness is found in worldly enjoyments and merriment and leisure and in advancement. But here's the thing about the happiness that the world gives. It's never lasting. And it never is ultimately fulfilling. No matter how rich a person is, they're still not rich enough. They want more. No matter how you know, fulfilled a person may be with the abundance of the things of the world, they never have enough. They want more. Some of the most miserable people on this planet are those who seemingly have it all. Now... 
And I, I, one of my routines is I get up in the morning, eat breakfast, and I watch the news. And I tell Miss Avers, I want to see if the world's still standing. You know, did, did the world fall apart uh, during the night? And so I'll, we'll get our breakfast, we'll sit down, and, and we'll watch the news. And there's a big deal now about a trial between two Hollywood figures. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't care about this. I don't care. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, why is this important? Why is this news? Why do I have to watch this? And as you look at those people, they are miserable. They are famous. They are rich. One suing one for a hundred million. The other suing the other for 50 million. I mean, they're famous. They're rich. They seemingly have everything that anybody could ever want. But if you look at them, they are absolutely miserable. Some of the most miserable people on this planet are those who seemingly have it all that the world has to offer. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by teaching us that true and lasting happiness, peace, and fulfillment cannot be attained by the things of this world. That true and lasting happiness and fulfillment is a gift that God gives to those who give their life to him. You want to be blessed? Jesus said, this is how you're blessed. This is how you find lasting. Some of the happiest people on the earth, in the earth are those people who have very little of the world's riches. Because they've found peace and fulfillment and happiness. Not as the world gives, but as God gives. And so Jesus teaches us, as he begins the Sermon on the Mount, this is how you find peace and happiness and fulfillment. Now let me tell you this. The goal of life is not to be happy. I don't care how many of those talk shows, those TV talk shows, daytime talk shows you want. I was watching one one time. I don't know why I was watching it, but I was watching it. I was watching one one time, and there was this woman just full of tears. It could have been a man, but then, but this particular case, it was a woman. Tears were flowing, and she said to the host, I just want to be happy. You know? And the host, oh, it was so commiserating. You know, stuff was going on in her life, and she didn't want it there, and she just wanted to be happy. So I preached that woman a sermon. She didn't hear it, but I preached it. And I said, honey, I want to tell you something. The goal of life is not to be happy. The goal of life is to be holy. The goal of life is to know the God of the Bible and to love him and to serve him. And if a person does that, they will be happy. Happiness is not found in the accumulation of the things of the world and the relationships of the world as important as they might be. True and lasting happiness, peace, and fulfillment is a gift that God gives to those who trust in Him. Now, the Beatitudes describe the road to God. Maybe you come this morning and you say, I wish I could find God. Well, first of all, the Bible says God's not far away from you. He's as close to your next breath and the next beat of your heart. And God doesn't play hide and seek with us. 
God can be found. How do you find God? How do you find peace? How do you find fulfillment? How do you find happiness? How do you find the road to God? Well, the Beatitudes tell us the road to God. How do you find Him? Now, the Beatitudes are like links in the chain. Each Beatitude builds upon the other. And it kind of describes the road to God, like links in a chain. They're all interconnected, as we shall see. So the first beatitude that Jesus gives is this in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those is the kingdom of heaven. Now the word translated poor in this verse, there's different words translated poor in the English version of the Bible. This particular word is a word that describes utter destitution. This is not a word that describes somebody who at the end of the week still has $50 after they paid their bills and, and they bought groceries and they still got $50. Now, some people would say that's poor. You know, I say it's normal, you know, for us. But, you know, some people might say it's poor. That's not the word that is used to describe this. The word translated poor in this verse describes utter destitution. It was a word that was used to describe somebody who was in absolute and abject poverty. Someone who has absolutely nothing. A beggar. Powerless to have anything. Absolutely nothing. We're talking about someone who has nothing. Now, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, a lot of people stop there. Blessed are the poor. So it's blessed. God will bless you if you're poor financially. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is not talking about financial poverty in this verse. There is nothing blessed about being financially poor and financially destitute. There's nothing blessed about that. What in this verse, Jesus is talking not about material poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said this. The road to happiness begins when a person comes to the point where they realize how spiritually poor and destitute they really are. Jesus said the Christian life begins when a person comes to the point where they understand they are a spiritual beggar. How spiritually poor and destitute they really are. The Christian life begins when a person realizes they are utterly and hopelessly lost and separated from God. There's nothing they can do out of themselves to make themselves right with God. There's nothing they can do out of themselves to try to make themselves acceptable to God. The Christian life begins when a person realizes that they are a beggar before God and their only hope of ever being saved and right with God is His grace and His mercy. It is not the proud in spirit who are saved and experience the kingdom of God. It's the poor in spirit 
Those who realize their total dependence upon God's divine grace. This is called conviction of sin. When a person realizes, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm lost and I'm separated from God. And there's nothing I can do to make myself right with God. There's nothing I can do to make myself acceptable to God. I am a beggar before God. I am totally and utterly lost before God. And there's nothing I can do to make myself right with God. Let me give you a perfect illustration of what it means to be poor in spirit. It's found in Luke chapter 18 verses 10 through 14. Jesus said two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this stinking tax collector. Lord, may I remind you how spiritual I am. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I possess. That's the proud in spirit. But the tax collector, Jesus said, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the original translation, he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm a sinner. I am the sinner. Listen to what Jesus said. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not the proud in spirit who are saved, it's the poor in spirit. It's not those who are self-righteous and self-important and haughty who are saved. It's those who know they need God, who know they are lost who know that they are miserable sinners, separated from God, and there's nothing they can do to make themselves right with God. That's called conviction. <laughs> Some people want to spread to God as if God should be so impressed that somebody with their stature would actually want to be a follower of Christ. And they strut down the aisle as if, you know, the church and God and everybody should be impressed that somebody like them would actually want to come to Christ. I tell you, that person will go home not saved. It's the person who comes to God in brokenness and say, I am a sinner. And I am lost, and there is nothing I can do to make myself right with God. That's the poor in spirit. And that's where the Christian life begins. It begins with a realization of spiritual poverty. Then Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the word translated mourn is a word that is the strongest word for mourning that was found in the ancient uh, text. In this verse, Jesus is talking about our attitude toward our sin. You know why we're spiritually poor? You know why we're spiritually bankrupt and separated from God? It's because we are sinners. 
We have broken the laws of God, the commands of God. We have sinned in rebellion against God. We are sinners separated from God. And the person who comes to the point where they're not going to compare themselves to other sinners, well, I may be, uh, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as some other folks. And when a person comes to the point where they're willing to say, I have sinned against God. I'm a sinner. I have broken the laws of God, the commands of God. I have gone my own way. I've lived in rebellion against God. And because of that, I know I am lost and separated from God. And they're not proud of their sin. You know, we have the pride days. <laughs> People proud of their sin. They're not proud of your sin. You're broken by your sin. You're broken by the fact that you've broken the laws of God and rebelled against God. Blessed are those, those who mourn over the fact that they have sinned against a holy God. And they realize because of their sin, they're spiritually bankrupt and they are destitute before God. It's the Holy Spirit of God who convicts a person of sin. I've never convicted a person of sin. I don't have that ability. You know, now God may have used my words perhaps or may have used something that I have preached as an instrument to bring conviction in the life of a person, but it's the Holy Spirit of God who convicts us of sin. It was the Holy Spirit of God that worked in my life to break me of my pride and my arrogance and the evil and the wickedness of my life and to help me to see and understand that I was lost before a holy God. And there was nothing I could do to make myself right with God. Nothing. I could join every church in America. It wouldn't have worked. I could have been baptized in every baptismal pool in America and it wouldn't work. I could have given everything I had to every church in America and it would not have worked. There was nothing, nothing, nothing I can do to make myself right with God. But there came a point in my life where I realized I was a sinner. And because I was a sinner under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I realized I was separated from God and I was spiritually destitute before a holy God. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. That's where you begin to find God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know what happens when you're broken over your sin? When you realize how separated you are from God? When you come to God in confession and repentance of your sin, you know what happens? He saves your soul. That's what happens. And you receive the comfort of God's forgiveness from the penalty of sin. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. You see, it is those who realize their sin. It is those who repent of their sin and come to Christ who receives the comfort of forgiveness, who receives the comfort of the presence of the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. God comforts those who comes to him in repentance and in faith in him. 
He gives them comfort. He's with them. He comes into their life. He saves them. Where does the Christian life begin? Where's the starting point? How can I find God? Where does it begin? It begins when I realize how lost I am. It begins when I realize that I'm lost because of my sin. It begins when I come to God and I confess that to Him. And say, God, I'm lost. I'm separated from you. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and save me. That's where the Christian life begins. And you know, the good thing about that is anybody can be saved. Rich person, poor person, man, woman, boy, girl, any social strata, any educational level, anybody can be saved. If a person's willing to admit their lostness, to admit their need to God, their need of God, and come to Him in repentance and faith, they will be comforted. They will be saved. The hymn writer put it like this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's how you begin your journey to God. That's how you find God. <laughs> it begins with repentance and faith. Then Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, meekness is not, was not celebrated as a virtue in ancient times. It's not celebrated today. You know, when you're looking for nicknames for college football teams, you don't say, here comes the fighting meeks or the attack of lambs. You know, you, the, the word, you know, the word meek, however, is an interesting word. It means strength under control. In ancient times, it was used of a wild horse that was broken and brought under the control of the rider so it could be ridden. You've seen that on those old cowboy movies where they have the wild horses and the cowboy will get on the horse and he'll jump around, that horse will jump around for about a minute or two and the cowboy's hanging on and eventually the horse will stop bucking and trying to get the cowboy off and eventually it'll stop and begin to walk around and the horse is then broken. In other words, the horse has been brought under control. It can now be ridden. That's what the word meek means. Jesus said, happy is the person who has been broken by God and brought under his control. See, you realize your spiritual poverty. You realize that your spiritual poverty is because of your sin. And you come to God and ask him to forgive you. And you surrender your life to his control. And say, oh God, I surrender who I am and all that I am to you. You see, that horse before it's broken, wild and strong. After it's broken, it's still strong. But now it's under control of the rider. 
The person who is saved is the person who realizes how lost they are. The person who repents of their sin, the person who comes to Christ and say to him, please forgive me. I surrender my life to your control. Before he met Christ, there was a man named Legion. He was a wild man. He was dominated and controlled by demons. He was a madman. Nobody could do anything to do with him, have anything to do with him. He lived in the cemetery and he was wild and he was strong and they tried to tie him up and he'd break off the, the chains and the fetters that they tried to tie him up with. He was wild. But then he came to know Christ. And after he came to know Christ, that man, still strong, was totally different. Listen, Luke 8, 35. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they found the man, Legion, from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the foot of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Before he was saved, he was wild, demonic. No one could do anything, to, uh, could do anything with him. He came to know Christ. And he was completely, same man, completely different. Now he's under the control of God. The prodigal son lived a wild and rebellious life. But he came home to the father in remorse of his sin and repentance. And he surrendered himself to the father's control. Saul of Tarsus was driven by a fanatical hatred for Christ. And the followers of Christ. But then he got saved and he became Paul the Apostle, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is those who are under the control of Christ who will inherit the earth and rule with Christ. And so Jesus says, okay, this is how the Christian life begins. This is where the road to the Father begins. The road to salvation begins when you realize how lost you are. When you're willing to mourn over your sin, to repent of your sin, when you're willing to surrender your life to the control of God, ask Him for forgiveness and surrender your life to Him. That's where the Christian life begins. It doesn't begin with joining a church. Now, after you're saved, you join a church. That's what you're supposed to do. It doesn't begin with, with this religious activity or that religious observance. The Christian life begins, the road to God begins when you realize how lost you are, how destitute you are, when you're sorry for your sin and you want to get right and you want to be right, and when you're willing to receive the forgiveness God offers and surrender your life to Him and His control. That's where the Christian life begins. That's where the road to God begins. That's what happened when I was saved. I thought I was God's gift to the world. <laughs> you know, I was so stupid. You know, I look at my life before I was saved, and I was just stupid. Smartest thing I ever did was find Miss Harris, and God put us together. I'll tell you that story one day, maybe. God put us together, and we were both lost as we could be, but God in His grace. Put us together. And then he saved us. Man, I came to Christ when I was saved. I'd been in church all my life. God began to whoop me and deal with me. And I'd been in church enough to know what was going on. 
that God was dealing with me and I needed to be saved and I needed to be right. And the first time we had gone to church in I don't know how long, we went to a church slammed full of people, sat on the front pew. That was the only pew available for in the church. We sat on the front pew. The preacher preached that morning. I took three steps, took him by the hand, and I told him, I want to be saved. That's what I said because I knew I was lost. And I knew I was lost because of my sin. And I asked Christ to forgive me that day. And I surrendered my life to him. I said, I don't know what all this means, but I give you my life. You are my Lord, my master. And wherever you lead, I'll go. Who knew he'd lead me here? I'm glad he did. Amen. Amen. I'm glad he did. So the Christian life begins with a realization of your spiritual poverty. It begins with brokenness over your sin. It begins with a surrender to the control of Christ. And see, then God gives you the gift of happiness and fulfillment. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You're, you still have Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Paul said, whether I've got it all or whether I have nothing, I have found the source of joy and happiness that nothing in the world can affect. And that's in my relationship with Christ. <laughs> and so that's ultimate happiness and ultimate fulfillment. I was talking to a guy one time about coming to Christ. And he kind of told me a story. And he said, you know, I was in high school and I just couldn't wait to get out of high school. You know, I couldn't wait to get my life started. I thought life would be so good. So he, he got out, you know, went to college, got a job. And he said, boy, life was good. But he said, there was always something missing. There was always, no matter how, what I got or what I achieved, I would be happy for a while, but there was just an gnawing emptiness in my life and it would always come back. And there was always something just not right, always something missing. So I always thought, well, the next thing is going to give me fulfillment. I'll, I'll find the wife I want. I'll, I'll have the house I want. I'll have the job I want. And eventually I'm going to come to the point where I'm happy. And I, and I stay happy. And he said, every step I took, I would be happy for a while. But that old gnawing emptiness would always come back in my life. And he said, I didn't, I didn't know where to find what I was missing. He said, I didn't know where to find what I was missing until I came to Jesus. <laughs> and he said, I gave my life to Christ. And he fulfilled my soul. And now I never hunger and I never thirst for real meaning and purpose in life. That's what Jesus does for you. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truth for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.